Hi, it's Grace Cowan, and this is Frogmore Stew. Today's episode involves a very hot-button cultural issue, but I urge you to listen to all of the episodes this week as we do a deep dive into a very divisive and not new, but newly discussed issue. The reason I started this podcast is because I'm a news, pop culture, and political junkie. I've worked on campaigns. I follow policy both nationally and statewide like a hawk. And I'm always asked right around election time who to vote for. I believe I'm a moderate, a center-left moderate, but I just don't go along with the narrative of the day. I like to understand exactly what I'm voting for. And given that this is an election year, our state legislature and many like it around the country are working to pass a variety of culturally flammable bills that directly affect all of us. And the national news cycle of 24-hour sensationalism has elevated our sense of urgency and fear. You can listen to the episode called The Time of Fear if you want to understand why fear is the key driver in politics. Jessica McIntosh is our guest today. She's a South Carolina mom. She's a businesswoman in the finance sector and a brand new advocate for a movement she came into very organically. She didn't expect this, but her experience is one that I think everyone should hear. Today, we're talking about little kids that are trans. I realize many of you have made up your mind on the issue. And again, I urge you to listen to her story. This is something that as soon as you say the words trans and child together, many people get really uncomfortable. It brings them something that either turns into judgment on the parents, judgment on the kid's teachers, judgment on the kid, definitely a judgment on someone because in many minds, kids don't come up with being trans on their own. And then for many, it's just a fear. I believe we all owe it to our community to understand this issue outside of the political rhetoric and to also consider that when news covers these issues, they aren't looking to help us consider the reality of the topic. They're looking for ways to extract a reaction. So let's get to the stew. Hi, Jessica. It's so great to have you on Frogmore Stew. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family, your kids, your husband? Sure. We've been in uh, Charleston, South Carolina for just over six years, but I actually went to school here, College of Charleston, in the late 90s, then moved to New York City where I met my husband. We discovered that we had both lived in Charleston at the same time frame, and many years later, we made it down here. And he had actually been previously married and had two young girls, three and six at the time. We got married and then had three more children. So we have in total five. That's a lot of kids, Jessica. (laughs) But now they range in age from 21 down to twins that are nine. That's our gang. I've been at the same company for 22 years and helped launch our group about seven and a half years ago and have been doing that remotely. His job is here, which is how we actually got down to Charleston. So you as a guest today on this podcast have a really incredible story. And I met you several months ago at a dinner and you told me the story of your family. It really affected me and also caused me to want to understand way more about your situation. So can you talk to our listeners, tell them what you told me at the dinner? First of all, I grew up in Tennessee. My grandfather was a minister. 
Both my uncles were ministers. My husband also grew up in the South in Georgia, and we both grew up going to church and having family around us. We both also lived up in New York City, which opened my eyes to other things. And I think my husband would probably say the same, but the love of family brought us back down South and and wanting to be around and closer to aging parents. And so that's why we came back. And one of the things about what we're going through right now, it wasn't something that was on our mind when we moved here because our child, who is a transgender boy, was only three at the time when we moved to South Carolina from New York City. Did they go to school in New York City? They did. We lived in a town called Bronxville, uh, which is just north of the city. And we went to a church there and our kids went to the nursery school at the church. You moved to South Carolina. And at that time, you have five daughters and the youngest ones are three. Everybody's in school now. And so then what happens next? I would say two years go by uh, from three to five. And I did notice that there was something different about one of the twins. And I didn't think anything of it at the time. They were uh, things like I would dress both the twins the same, maybe in different colors, but they'd be a matching tutus and hair bows. And one twin would say, I don't want to wear dresses. That's fine. So they didn't wear dresses. Then it was for their birthday party. One wanted to have a butterfly pinata and the other one wanted a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle pinata. The one twin wanted to dress up in princess clothes and the other twin wanted to dress up in Spider-Man and always wanted their hair pulled back in a ponytail so it was not long and in their face. They were just these, I consider it a tomboy wanting to do sports and things like that. Which is interesting though that you use the word tomboy. I want to come back to that a little bit later. I think that's a, a key word in in understanding this. Then they go away every summer to my parents. We call it grandparent camp. And they went for a week. And while they were there, my mother took them shopping. I had never actually taken my children shopping for clothes. I always just bought them online, put them in their closet and say, this is what you're wearing. I obviously tried to listen to them when they didn't want to wear a dress. Then I would try to find something, their personalities. But I'd never actually taken them shopping before. My mom took them shopping and said, go pick some stuff out. The girls run over to the girls section and one twin runs over to the boys section and picks out bathing suit, pajamas, clothes, you name it. So my mom called and said, I just want to give you the heads up that Mae Thomas, which was his name at the time, is coming back with new clothes and uh, bathing suit and pajamas that are all from the boys section. I didn't really think anything of it. I said, that's fine. And then when he got home, I noticed how happy he was in his new attire. I actually stumbled on a photo. My mom sent it to me recently, a picture she had taken of him. The moment that he put on boy swimming trunks and looked at himself in the mirror and he was beaming. And for the next two weeks after they got home, he came to my bedside every single day begging me to cut his hair. His sister started saying, why are you wanting to look like a boy? And why do you want to dress like a boy? And 
they kept picking on him. They didn't think it was hurting his feelings. But then I noticed that he got really emotional about it and he was trying to fight back tears. And I picked up on it and I said, let's go to my bedroom. So he came to my bedroom and burst into tears. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, they're calling me a tomboy, but I feel like and I remember the way he said it. He was afraid to say it. He was afraid for the words to come out of his mouth. It took him a while to get it out. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is trans. I didn't know much about transgender individuals. It wasn't as talked about as it is today. And he had no idea that the way he was feeling was how people feel. As a matter of fact, he was afraid to tell me because he knew that it didn't match his other twin, right? right? And or other girls, like his older sisters. And my immediate gut reaction was, that's okay. Even though inside I was going, oh my gosh, I don't know how to respond to this. I don't know what to do. You just want to tell your child it's okay, that you love yeah. them. And if that's the way that they feel, then that's okay. And each day was, from that moment on, a new child that we didn't know before in that way. You grew up in Tennessee, and it's strong religious organizations. Were you ever frightened that you knew this was something you had to honor? There was no issue there. I, I did grow up with my grandfather being very strict minister and so strict that I think it actually made my mother go the opposite direction, how she mm -hmm. raised us. Her best friend was a gay man. And I remember her being so open. I was a child talking about how she didn't agree with people being judged for their uh, sexual preferences. She didn't believe that it was a choice. She thought that we were born that way. There wasn't a lot of judgment placed on people in that way. Christianity, church, none of that came to mind. If God loves all people, then he loves all people. What was of concern to me was fear for my child's safety, the way that my child might be treated based on this decision. And I say decision, it's his decision to be brave and be his true self. The way that other people are going to treat him is the thing that scares me the most. I want him to be happy and have a life that brings him joy. And this is what, as a mom, that's what pops in your mind immediately is that fear. Did you ever consider saying, no, this isn't who you are, you were born a girl, you're young, you don't know what you're saying, or something along those lines? In the moment, it was so real. There was no part of me that thought this was, oh, I think I just want to be a boy. It wasn't like that. It was deeper than that. It was, I'm in this body and I'm discovering and realizing that I'm in the wrong body. And in that moment that he was sitting with me on my bed. It just, every piece of me felt all I need to do is support and love him and not say you're too, it didn't even cross my mind. Afterwards, talking to my husband and thinking about how hard everything is going to be, then you go back and forth with, gosh, maybe this is a phase. You're hoping it's a phase. You're hoping that this is going to change because you don't want their life to be hard or difficult. And so then you, okay, let's just feel the now and see for if this is really how it is. And right. 
I can tell you since that moment on our bed, I have never looked at him and thought that he would change his mind or that it is a phase. Deep down inside, I know it's never going to change. Social media is a fairly good place to hear the loudest voices on this. And there were many women that I read, for example, who posted things like, when I was a kid, I was a tomboy. This goes back to that word (laughs) that you said earlier, tomboy which is a very acceptable thing. When I was growing up Gen X in the 80s, you could wear whatever you wanted and people would be like, oh, she's tomboy. Those voices that I was reading say now is if my parents had done what the transgender kids' parents are doing now, which is saying, oh, you want to be a boy? That's fine. We're going to make you a boy. That's where the danger comes in. But I think where the biggest difference lies isn't exactly what you just said. Your son didn't come to you and say, I feel like a boy. And you were like, great. Everything about your life is now going to be (laughs) a boy, right? This was a process of you talking and going through many different conversations to understand the truth of what your son feels. I remember he pulled me aside and said, mom, do you think that people are going to think I'm weird? And I looked at him and I said, yeah, people are going to think that. They are going to say things. And it is going to be tough. It's going to be really hard. But I don't think you're weird. We love you and we support you. So if this is what you want to do, then we're behind you. He didn't go into this, I'm going to be a boy. He knew exactly what was going to happen. It made him very happy to wear boy clothes. And eventually we cut his hair. It took me a while. But the day that we really cut it off, we went to a restaurant and the waiter said, and buddy, what would you like? And he lit up and was like, he saw a boy. He thinks I'm a boy. (laughs) And he got so excited. And my husband and I just looked at each other like, this is, it's one thing after the next. One thing I will say is I felt like I was a tomboy. I wanted a boy's BMX bike. I rode a boy's BMX bike. I cut my hair off. I had a short haircut. I loved playing sports and just, yeah, I think a lot of the same stuff. But I never wanted to be a boy. I liked being a girl and I liked being a tomboy. This is different. They just feel like a boy inside. That's the difference between the actual physical self versus a gender construct, right? And the definition really of gender construct are things that society has applied to each of the genders. So no matter what gender you're born, you can choose either of those things. That doesn't make you trans. What makes you transgender is someone that innately in their body feels like they are not the gender that they were born. That's right. Now, many years later, and all of our friends, family who have been around him for four years now, mm-hmm. everyone is like, I can't imagine him as a girl. You look at him and you talk to him and he's just any other kid and he's a boy. I mean, all of his friends are boys. He runs around and plays with them. He plays football. He plays basketball. And he just, he is this person. So one of the things I came across is that in parenting transgender children is there are three words that come up often of what differentiates a tomboy versus your child being transgender. And they are consistence, persistence, and insistence. You don't want to keep pressing things like, no, don't you love pink? 
But remember when you loved unicorns or whatever, but your child consistently says, yes, but that's not who I am. Spot on. Because I would go back and ask, what about the time that you and Millie, his sister, dressed Mm -hmm. for your birthdays? You were both Wonder Woman. How did you feel? And he said, I didn't like it. And Mm -hmm. it's funny. It's his personality. He was always my quiet child. And he wouldn't speak up and say anything. And then when this happened and we were transitioning and letting him wear boy clothes and all that stuff. His old babysitter got the matching bathing suits that summer. And I said, we have to put these bathing suits on and take a picture and send it to her and say, thank you. And he like took everything in him to put that bathing suit on. He just did it for me. But after that moment, he has never put on a dress, a girl's bathing suit, a hair bows, nothing, and would never even consider it. He never looked back. And I can't imagine him any other way. To your point, it's any parent of a boy. If you said to your son, who was in the first or second grade, hey, you need to put this girl's bathing suit on and take a picture so that we can send it to someone They would be devastated. So uncomfortable and cried. And I was like, please, I'm begging you, please just put it on. And he did it, but just for me. And he immediately took it off. It was like he couldn't get it off faster. So Jessica, one of the things that I think is impactful and important about your voice and particularly why I wanted to start this conversation with you is because you are not someone who knows all the lingo. You are not someone that has been an advocate for this for a very long time. You are not someone that had this growing up or you've never been involved in an advocacy group that works for transgender issues. And one of the things that I think has made this so difficult to have a conversation about is that for myself even, I don't know the language. And so I'm so worried to say something or use a phrase that's offensive. And I don't want to be considered someone who isn't open, but at the same time, I don't know the lingo. And I think to your point, just even using the word tomboy, my 16-year-old daughter was like, oh my God, mom, you can't use that word. (laughs) And I was like, okay, boomer, even though I'm a Gen Xer, I just, I feel like it's so important for people like you to talk to people like me so that we can better ourselves in feeling comfortable to to use the language that we know, have someone say, don't use that word, but understand why. I too had a hard time in the beginning because he said he wanted to be referred to as a boy. And Mm -hmm. so immediately we had to say he, him. And then we were like, but what do we call you? Now, at the time, his name was Mae Thomas, a double name. I said, you know, your dad name is, is, is the same as his dad's. So his mom gave him initials. Why don't we just do what dad did? It's still a boy's name and it stands for your name. He was okay with that. So he started to go by MT first grade. And within a year, he quickly dropped the M because people asked him, what does MT stand for? He wanted it to be a boy's name. So we dropped 
the letter M and he goes by Thomas now. Names are a gender construct also, right? <laughs> so getting used to the, the pronouns and all that took us a little while. I can't even imagine calling him a her or she, her or May Thomas. It's just completely Thomas. It rolls off the tongue naturally. Same with his pronouns. I never, ever referred to him as a girl, ever. Mm-hmm. And tell me about school. How has school been? I'm sure he's met a friend and first, second, third grade is when they start having sleepovers and you start to go to pool parties and they're all of the things that reveal gender. You're changing in school for after school sports or you have a sleepover, you go to swim class. How has that worked? Yeah. So when he first started school as a boy, I gave the teacher the heads up because they had known him the previous year as May Thomas and a girl. Mm -hmm. And I needed to also say that he may want you to call him he him. And so I talked to the teacher and said, this is what's happening. And we don't really know what to expect because he's never been in school as a boy. And the teacher was great and super uh, supportive and said, I'll stay in touch with you often and we'll see how it goes. And a few weeks into school, definitely some of the kids from the year before that knew him as uh, May Thomas and a girl were asking questions like, why do you want to be a boy? And he would freeze up and the teacher would interrupt and ask him, MT, do you prefer to be called a boy? And he said yes. And, and so the teacher turned to the other students and said, then that's what we're going to call him and we're going to respect MT's wishes. And so that's how it went. And several weeks into uh, school, it was a Sunday and I noticed that he had been in the bathroom a long time. And then I started to hear him uh, crying for me. And I went in and said, what's wrong? And he said, it hurts. And I realized he was um, not able to go to the restroom. And I said, have you not been going to the bathroom at school? And he shook his head while crying. No. And I said, why aren't you going to the bathroom when you're at school? And he said, I was going to the girls' bathroom, but they all looked at me like I was weird and said, why are you in here? You're a boy. You go to the boys' bathroom. And I even remember the face he made imitating them doing it, just the look of disgust. And so he nervously went to the boys' bathroom. And of course, there was like one or two boys that were like, you're a girl. Why are you in here? So he didn't go to the bathroom and he held it. And I had no idea that it had been two weeks into school that he wasn't going to the bathroom at school. And then he was having a hard time going to the bathroom at all. So I immediately, it was a Sunday night, I wrote an email to the principal and the teacher and said, can we speak tomorrow morning? First thing. And they were wonderful. They were great. They said, let's meet. Let's meet in person and we're going to figure this out. And so I will say right away, they didn't really know what to do because they hadn't had this experience right at that school before. And the teacher was just amazing. And she said, you know what? I'm just going to look out the hallway and look out the door and look down the hallway. And if there isn't a class lined up going to the restroom, which, by the way, that was the other thing. They line up and all the boys line up in front of the boys bathroom, all the girls and they all go to the different genders. And so it was like all eyes on him. <laughs> which yeah. one are you gonna so she said she just would tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, 
do you need to go to the restroom? As in coast is clear. (laughs) And so he got it. He was like, I know she's helping me. And so he would run out there and go to the bathroom. And he preferred to go to the boys' bathroom. So he went to the boys' bathroom. And now, this was several years ago, now all the kids are used to it. They don't, I don't think they think anything of it, or at least I've never heard of anything. And he, so he continues to go to the boys' bathroom at the school. And then anywhere in public, he goes to the boys' bathroom. This obviously was the first child who was recognized as transgender at that That's school. Because right. yeah. certainly transgender is not a new thing. This yeah. has been around since the right. beginning of time. It's just yeah. um, that we now are recognizing it as a society. And yeah. that is change. And so some people have a tougher time than others with change. And it really often takes being closely exposed to something or witnessing what you have witnessed in order to fully grasp why this isn't a choice, right? Right. This is very similar to in the 80s. We knew who all of the gay kids in our class were, but they didn't feel comfortable coming out in many circumstances. And Mm -hmm. I think this is this generation's freedom (laughs) of being able to acknowledge that they are something different than what we perceive as the rest of society. And so there are a lot of bills right now in the state that most likely aren't bills that our politicians have written, but bills that they've received from national organizations that are making their way through um, conservative legislatures throughout the country. And one in particular is 4624. It's in the House. And it restricts parents being able to make medical decisions when it comes to transgender health care. And I'm wondering, obviously, as a parent, no parent wants any decision about their child taken away from them, I would imagine, is how you feel. But I'm curious how this directly affects your son's ability to continue living his authentic self. We were going to a doctor at MUSC, and unfortunately, that doctor was not able to continue providing us the treatment that we needed. And um, can you tell us what that looks like for a child who's six, seven, eight? Really just uh, a conversation where they talk and ask questions. The doctor isn't doing anything other than really evaluating who this individual is and understanding that them being transgender is consistent. For us, it was helpful to ask questions and learn more by having those appointments and asking a medical professional what they think. That is all that we have done up until this point, which has been extremely helpful. But that treatment stopped uh, about a year ago. It hurt us because we couldn't continue to do our research and ask the questions that we wanted to ask to learn about all the options out there. And so we've had to go out of the state. And that's only because uh, someone had recommended someone out of the state that was uh, teledoc. That costs money. (laughs) Right. And it's going to cost a lot of money for us to do that. And it's also virtual. Seeing somebody in person and getting to know a doctor, the doctor getting to know you, 
that's going to be really difficult going through this right. without having someone that we see in person. Do you have a local pediatrician that understands? The, the local pediatrician yes. has been amazing. The whole staff adjusted the name and started calling him Thomas. We talk about it openly with the doctor and he, he just couldn't be better. He also just recently referred some people for him to talk to as he has been having anxiety, of course, over it getting closer to the age of puberty. He's really panicking. And the doctor was able to refer some folks for him to talk to. Don't know that he'll be able to do that. But one of the small wins when the bill was addressed is that doctors can refer other healthcare professionals, but I'm assuming it will be outside of uh, the state. I'm not sure about the details of that, but that's really important for us to be able to at least have someone to talk to about this. And I'm hoping that the bill does not take that away from us because we need to do our homework. We need to do our research, but he also needs somebody to talk to because it's going to get increasingly very difficult to process and go through. And he, he talks about it with us, but he still has a really hard time with it. It's overwhelming to him and it's a lot to put on a child the way that they're feeling. So he needs to talk to and to talk all of this out. As a parent, puberty isn't like an everyday conversation that you're having all the time with your children when they're not going through this. And so adding on this whole level of intensity that our legislators are actually putting on kids seems to be cruel and unusual punishment, right? Like it's making a hard time of a child's life way more difficult. Yes. For something right. that they didn't choose, for That's something right. that they're living the person that they are supposed to be. And I just don't understand how they can justify that. That's the tough thing, too, is we're having to have some real adult-like conversations with them about what's happening out there. And it's really hard for a child to understand why people wouldn't want him to be who he is. And that's the way he sees it. He doesn't understand why there's so much conversation about it. And he just wants to be left alone. He right. wants to be a kid. He wants to enjoy his life, wake up and not have to talk about it. It's in his face. And that's really hard for kids. With everything going on out there, it makes it a bigger deal. But there is still a population of people out there that don't really understand. And I think that maybe they haven't seen it firsthand. Maybe they see some of the media out there and think that's what it is. And I just, I hate that social media is uh, telling a story out there that's not ours. And it's unfortunate because he's going to run into people that feel a certain way and it's not going to feel good for him. One thing I, I did want to note is that South Carolina has an estimated, and this is estimated because the census doesn't capture information on transgender individuals, but we're estimated to have about 3,700 transgender individuals aged 13 to 17 and then 19,000 trans adults. We have a significant portion of our state who are transgender individuals. And this legislation is directly affecting 3,700 kids, teenagers, which is not nothing, I guess, is my point. It's not a problem that they're trying to solve. This is an issue that the legislature is taking into their hands 
as their responsibility for someone else's child. Yeah, it goes like bullying. That's the part that's really upsetting because it, it, in my opinion, feels like a political move. They're easy wins because there's a small percentage of people that are going to be able to fight for themselves. And so it's really unfair. Right. And and what they don't realize they're doing right now, it's a small population, but these are their lives. And it's going to be very bad, you yeah. know, what, what we're going to see if all of these get, bills get passed and these kids are going to have a really hard time. Just leave them alone. Jessica, one thing that I read a long time ago is that you can't change pop culture. All of the kids that Thomas is surrounded by, they understand him. They understand not to be afraid of it. And modern societies are always changing. Cultural change leads to generational change because every generation essentially grows up in a different culture. Mm -hmm. So I hope by the time that our kids are adults, our legislature is filled with Thomas's classmates. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I do hope that is the way it's going to go. But we do have to, and I say, unfortunately, speak up. And why I say yeah. it's unfortunate is because, again, my child just wants to be a kid. He doesn't want to be different. <laughs> and he walks out the door and it's always on his mind. But I have to say something so that the people that are out there saying the opposite aren't the louder voice because everything, as we all know, is all over social media. But at the same time, there's a lot of quiet voices right now. I know that there are so many more people that are going through this that are just afraid to speak up and say something. Uh, and I want people to know that we are a family just like any other family. And there was nothing special about us that made us any different than any other family. He was born this way. Yeah, that's it. Well, Jessica, I, I'm so thankful for your honesty. So thankful for your bravery. I'm so just thankful that you would sit down with us today and have this conversation. Um, and I'm so proud to call you my friend. I, I feel like taking an advocacy role for something that you were surprised by in the first place is, I think, the definition of being a really phenomenal parent. So I, I hope you'll come back as we watch what happens in our legislature. And I, I commend you and am so happy that your voice is in this state. Thank you, Grace. We need more friends like you, actually. <laughs> We've got some great friends, and I, I think that more kids like Thomas need people like you and others that really listen and support. And also, I always go back to this. Why can't we all just love each other? It's all about yeah. love. I hope that people will lead with that when they consider the different bands that are going on in the legislation out there. So that line doesn't get you elected, Jessica. <laughs> I know. That's the problem. That's all the stew for today. Talk to you next week. The Frogmore Stew Podcast with Grace Cowan is produced and directed by TJ Phillips with the Podcast Solutions Network.